0: We are primarily known for our visual effects, that's definitely like our bread and butter. Footage Crate, which is a sub-site of Production Crate, is specifically for visual effects and that's kind of where we got our start back in 2009. Just making visual effects that are very easy to download and use for anybody, whether they have previous filmmaking or visual effects experience or complete beginners.
1: Welcome back to Famous Editors. Very interesting guest today, Chris Kelly, creator of Production Crate, one of the most popular places for VFX artists and editors to get their 3D models, graphics, VFX plugins, music, and along the way building this incredibly successful business. Chris has also built a giant YouTube following teaching visual effects, almost 200,000 subscribers. So in this conversation, he talks about how he did both at the same time, the strategy he used to grow this amazing business, selling assets to editors and VFX artists, how he built such a loyal following, how he creates such great content for YouTube, how he teaches what he loves about it. There is a lot packed into this one, so I hope you enjoy
0: it. It's hard to narrow it down because we do do so much, but we are primarily known for our visual effects. That's definitely like our bread and butter. Footage Crate, which is a sub-site of Production Crate, is specifically for visual effects, and that's kind of where we got our start back in 2009. Just making visual effects that are very easy to download and use for anybody, whether they have previous um, filmmaking or visual effects experience or complete beginners. Um, So yeah, Footage Crate was kind of the start, but since then... Obviously we've expanded quite a bit. We have music and sound effects over on soundscrate.com. Our 3D library has been growing really, really rapidly, rendercrate.com. And then we have images and vectors over at graphicscrate.com. And then the tools like the scripts and the plugins and the software falls under the uh, production crate umbrella. So a lot of stuff.
1: It's awesome. Amazing libraries, uh, huge user base. You've built a real community in the VFX and post-production space. What inspired uh, Footage Crate and and Production Crate?
0: So Footage Crate came around, I think it was like 2009, um, and I was at college, and my roommate was a cinematography major. So he was just making some projects on the side for fun, just like the silliest, stupidest little YouTube videos, like shoot up action, like choreographing like fight scenes in the hallway and stuff and pissing everybody off. Um, And then he showed me After Effects, which blew my mind. I couldn't believe that you could do compositing at home, that you can, you know, take explosions or add lightsabers to your footage. Uh, So that got me really, really excited. And that was what I wanted to do on those projects. So I took over kind of the post and then I started to make my own visual effects Um, And then I didn't really have any good place to store them. So I figured, okay, I'll make a website. That way I can download them anytime I'm not on this computer. And then I shared that website with a couple YouTubers I knew. And then they started to use it, spread the word. And from there, I was like, oh, hey, uh, there might actually be a business here.
1: That's awesome. When did it become self-sustaining? When did you look at it as your primary source of income?
0: That was... Probably, I think, 2017 or 2018. So, nearly like a decade after the website actually started. Uh, Through that whole time, uh, we're essentially just putting most of the money right back into the business. I was still learning how to be a filmmaker. So, I would do motion graphics jobs, or I would PA on big sets, or I would direct whatever, like 48 hour films. And I just, I was honing my skill sets and the website was growing along with me. And as it grew, we started to add team members, but I I didn't go full time for whatever, eight or nine years.
1: Was that uh, the college that you were in when when, uh, you started this? Was that film school or what, what were you studying at the time?
0: No, I was a liberal studies major, so I wasn't studying anything. It was a nonsense degree. Yeah.
1: Okay, it was uh, San Francisco State, is that right?
0: That's right, yeah. I mean, it wasn't a nonsense degree. It was if you wanted to be a teacher, which was kind of my fallback because I didn't like the idea of giving up my summers and teaching was the only way to kind of retain that. Um, I did try and switch it to be in uh, cinema, but the counselor gave me a bunch of crap about how difficult it would be to like swap. I didn't even deal with it. Self-taught is a very good route for a lot of people, me included. Um, Some people definitely flourish more in a um, structured environment. So to each their own.
1: Do you remember the moment when you said, wow, I would love to work in post-production or or in filmmaking. I'd love to make that my career.
0: Yeah, I mean, I've always dabbled. My brother did a lot of acting, uh, so I helped him a lot with that stuff. When YouTube first came out, I think it was like 2006. I probably uploaded a video there in the first month. I've always, you know, obsessed about watching films. I remember like if there were parties when we were kids, all the kids would like watch TV for like half a second and then run off and play. And I would just, I could not not finish the movie. I would sit there dedicated and just, yeah, finish it out no matter what it was. So yeah, I've always, i always kind of been into it, but definitely in college, Learning how much more you could do and, yeah. and that it's kind of like the limitations are more on the artist than the software kind of opened a new window for me.
1: Do you remember what, what films uh, inspired you to, to, to do this? Do you have favorites from your childhood? I
0: mean, The Matrix might yeah. have been like one of my first R-rated movies, you know, and it was just like mine. I mean, it still holds up after all these years. Yeah. So that, I mean, obviously, so visual effects heavy, too. Definitely was like a big push for me, and then, um, man, I've seen Jurassic Park maybe fifty times. So I'll, I'll say those are my two.
1: Those visual effects hold up as well. I was just watching a breakdown of, of how they did them back yeah. then.
0: Mind-blowingly good. Yeah, so good.
1: Yeah. And then tricks they would do, like uh, it was always it was almost always like dark and raining when you would see the T Rex, which made the the limited CG of that era more convincing.
0: Absolutely. Or when they would be very clever about how they cut from like the animatronics back to the digital and they did in such a good, seamless way that you, you can't really tell the difference. And that just kind of like, it builds the complete creature in your mind, which is a cool way of doing it.
1: Yeah. Right. Uh, and even that, that one of the scenes where the Ford explorers get knocked over, that was CG and and everyone, I think I always assume that was just a real, a real SUV. Yeah. What are the most spectacular CG films, uh, ever produced
0: you know i i i'm not sure i I think some of the best ones have to be the ones that don't get any credit for being cg because you don't notice like vfx and cg artists get so much hate thrown their way because people are like oh that cg was especially obvious and therefore that cg is bad and it's I mean that's that's maybe the CG stuff that you are seeing but like there's so many incredible breakdowns of entire worlds or cities being completely uh, recreated from scratch and everyone just assumes that they're real and they don't they don't get the credit that they deserve
1: Any uh examples come to mind?
0: I think I mean a random one was like do you ever see that Sherlock show with Benedict Cumberbatch?
1: Not not yet.
0: Like BBC or something, and it came out a couple years ago, and it wasn't even like that big budget of a production. I mean, it was big budget, but not like a Hollywood film. But yeah, I was watching some random VFX breakdown that popped into my feed of their recreation, and it was just like it's mind-blowingly good. Like that, I watched the show, and I'm a VFX artist, and not for one second was I like distracted by it or analyzing it. Like I just believed it, and that's that's the best kind of visual effects, in my opinion. But on the opposite side, like, um, I'm I'm a big fan of like the going really big, really exaggerated, like over the top VFX at the same, like, unapologetically in your face, oh, yeah. like CG. That stuff's cool too. Um, yeah. Bahu Bali. I don't know if you've ever seen that. No, yeah. I don't know that crazy, one. Crazy uh, action, like, Bollywood type film that, like, I Whoa. think the story's genuinely pretty awesome. And like, it's just so exaggerated, like so in your face, but like it's self-aware and it's fun and it's really cool. So yeah, I guess I I like the whole spectrum.
1: Yeah, I love that. Uh, And on your channel, you'll do these amazing breakdowns of the kind of over the top, um, like amazing, you know, comic book movies. So Thor's Hammer or Incredible Hulk, and Mm -hmm. you'll like supplement it with additional visual effects or show people how to recreate that effect. Totally. How do you choose the topics for your videos?
0: It varies. I mean, we get a ton of requests from users who want to know a specific effect. Sometimes they get really, really specific, like they'll download a clip from a TV show and say, Hey, I want this exact portal or whatever. Yeah. Sometimes it's just the hype though. Like if there's a new Marvel movie coming out, it's like, okay, we know that people are going to be interested in this effect, so let's do it. Yeah. And other times we just, we're, you know, R&Ding a couple ideas, something works, and that inspires the, uh, the effect that we end up making a tutorial about.
1: What topics do you find resonate most? So over your years of, of growing this uh, incredibly popular channel, what have you learned in terms of audience preferences?
0: Timing is important. Like mm. if we're doing uh Scarlet Witch effect, for example, which we've done a couple times in the past, they, it tends to do better if you're referencing something a little bit after it's come out. We've tried it before like we've tried it with a trailer we've tried it like the same day but like if it's a little bit after i feel like that lets the hype grow about whatever popular culture thing you're referencing and then it it seems to gain traction a lot better but in general like if you want to like get good uh like retention or whatever i think hooking right at the beginning and like cutting it down and understanding that nobody wants to sit around longer than they have to watching a video because there's just so much content out there so Make sure to kind of get your point across really early on in the video.
1: And how do you choose a thumbnail and a title?
0: So we've done A-B testing with something called TubeBuddy before, which kind of lets us help you know run side-by-side comparisons of two thumbnails that we like. And then we pay attention to the click-through rate, which is essentially um, helping you determine whether your thumbnail and the video title are bringing in clicks because those are the only... Um, those are the only thing presented when people are like browsing or surfing YouTube. Uh, the thumbnail though, you can change anytime you want and it won't necessarily hurt your videos views. But if you change the video title or the description, I believe it has to be like recached into the system or whatever. And then that like downtime can actually affect your trajectory. Yeah. In terms of thumbnails, like, you're seeing a library you're seeing like a grid of all these flashy thumbnails so you have to find a way to stand out whether that's you know people tend to click when they see other people's faces more often or a recognizable person um highly saturated stuff tended to do well yeah just find a way to stand out
1: cool Along the way, you've been reached out to by a lot of studios or or, uh, very popular other creators who want to use your content. Logan Paul, Netflix, HBO. What was that like? And what have been the milestones along the way of of building this channel? Yeah,
0: I mean, it's always cool when we see our stuff being used um, like in big YouTubers content or uh, if we get reached out to by a big studio. The big studios are fun, but at the same time, they are so... Um lawyery, I guess. Like I, I get it, I respect it, but like I I've had to sign just so many releases just saying sure you could do this and no I won't talk about that specific project and all this stuff where it's like it's cool, but at the same time it's so like severed from from us, you know, it's like they'll take it but they don't want to like give us any credit for it and that's fine. Meanwhile, like I don't know, smaller creators or YouTubers will like want to give us shout outs and credit and like I vibe with that a bit more personally. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's cool. Like, we get sent like random music videos or TV shows or whatever, where like our audience knows our content so well that they will recognize. They'll be like, hey, is that your magic effect or is that your fire effect? I'm like, how did you know that? That's amazing.
1: Yeah. How fun. Okay. What is your uh, workflow in making uh, a video? So, from all the way starting at the creative development, when you're figuring out what the video is going to be about, writing, uh, let's say you're doing it all yourself, you're editing, you're doing the sound design, the visual effects, what are your steps working through a video? Will you choose the music before you start uh, cutting the story? How, no, how
0: yeah, so uh, from beginning, I usually just come up with like a, a pretty rough concept, and then I just don't storyboard at all. I think it's a good system if it's something you're comfortable doing, but I I will try and just imagine and lock down the shots. And then I always shoot more than I need to because I'm just such a post guy. Like I feel like having more is just always going to be better than having too little. Yeah. So I like being able to like play around with different shots. Um, and then, yeah, in terms of like picking the right music, I'll choose the music after most of the edits kind of done and then find the music that fits the rhythm that I'm going for. So if it's a voiceover, the voiceover will have like a specific rhythm that's kind of built into it, then we need to find the right like beats per second and the right you know intensity of the music
1: track. In terms of software, so so I think a lot of the people watching this are curious about what software they should be spending their time learning. What do you think are the most important tools going forward? Editors and visual and
0: Yeah, good question. Blender, if you're a 3D artist, Blender was always good because it was free and there was a lot of support, but now Blender is becoming or is, insanely powerful. Uh, It could stand up to pretty much any of the other 3D software out there. It's free. The community is really strong. Unreal Engine as well. Unreal Engine is more of a game engine, but it is becoming insanely useful for visual effects and creators. So, and it's free too. So look into those. They're incredible software. DaVinci for editing, I think is really good. I use Premiere personally, but I'm slowly trying to transition into DaVinci. I don't know if I'll ever do it fully because it's hard to find like one editing software that does everything you want it to do. But I think DaVinci maybe has a bit brighter of a future or more trajectory. Uh, And then, yeah, I I do use After Effects for compositing. But DaVinci, of course, has DaVinci Resolve, which a lot of people use. So
1: what is it that you think gives uh, DaVinci that edge right now for editing?
0: I think being a newer software... Allows them to be a little lighter on their feet, whereas Adobe and Premiere can be weighed down by all the features and the dynamic linking and the integration and the decades of code that they've built up. While, like having this kind of like somewhat archaic system and then trying to like keep up with modern advancements is tricky. It's not an easy thing. I'm not hating on them at all. Like I cannot imagine how difficult it is for those developers. It's like Adobe has like a quick start project. Oh, Rush, where you like can edit, I think, short videos or social media videos really, really quickly. I like that idea. I haven't used it, but my guess is they'll probably just start creating new software to address some of these complaints that I'm hearing from a lot of Adobe users. Looking at
1: the company that you've built, what have been the biggest challenges to, to getting where you are today?
0: That's a good question. I mean... I feel like it's been pretty easy. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. Like I'm just doing oh. what I want to do. Like it, you know, any win is like kind of a surprise cause I'm having fun. Like we are working hard, but the job is just so cool. Like we're so psyched for anything that we're doing that the fact that it works out is just like sugar on top kind of thing.
1: You have literally hundreds of thousands of people using your site.
0: Yeah, I think we have like 1. 1.4, 1. 1.5 million people that have signed up total. Yeah, a lot of people visiting.
1: When have you seen the biggest spikes in users? What are the the, the growth hacks or the the yeah. things you've done to?
0: Non-controlled, non-intentional was 2020. When that came around, we were ready to like buckle down and see what the heck is going on. I did not assume good things would happen, but so many people being stuck at home, bored out of their minds, I think kind of kickstarted more of a like uh, creator mindset in a lot of people. And we saw a huge amount of new signups from 2020. Whoa. Um, in terms of something that we can actually take credit for, we run a lot of campaigns, um, whether it's like a social media campaign or email campaign, where we we have a kind of a freemium model where we create and provide a ton of free assets with the hopes that people who can afford it will sign up for a pro membership. And the ones who can't will, you know, hopefully just spread the word about our content.
1: Do you do paid ads or is it mostly organic? Is it a lot of people coming just from YouTube?
0: Yeah, we've tried paid ads. I'm not a big fan. Organic is the way to go. Organic is more long-term too, like it'll stick around, whereas paid ads, once you stop paying, those ads go away, um, yeah. get the word out there, find like a community who uses and appreciates your content and and then stick around and they'll keep using it and you'll keep building links and references and that kind of thing.
1: That's great. How do you treat your your email marketing? How do you nurture that community with
0: email? We have a subscriber list. When you sign up, you can like opt in or opt out and then hopefully most most people, I think it's maybe like 60% do opt in. Um, and then I just try and email like twice a month. I don't want to spam anybody out. So pretty rare. And it's usually just like new content updates because that's what we're really about.
1: What collaborations have you done over the years that have been valuable for you?
0: We work with a lot of... Uh, creators on YouTube, people who also make YouTube videos, but maybe not specifically in the niche that we focus on. So people who maybe do like more motion graphics or use different software, collaborating with those people has been really valuable because it introduces us and their audiences to each other, I guess. Like, otherwise, you know, if we're not making those tutorials, those people might've never heard about our content, even though it's completely compatible in their software of choice.
1: Mm, that that makes sense. How will you evolve the channel from here? What What types of content might you start making that you haven't done yet? Yeah. It's we're we're always talking
0: about it and we're always open to new directions. We used to do a weekly show called Saturday Morning Tutorials. It was kind of like a planned Saturday Morning Cartoons. We always started with a narrative story that was part of an ongoing like epic tale.
1: Really well, the produced like Marvel movies. I mean, they're they're great. Oh, you
0: seen some? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We would just go so big with those. Um, yeah, <laughs> but dude, it was exhausting, man. We had to like flip those around in a week. So it was shooting these things, editing, doing the visual effects, doing the sound effects, and then making the actual tutorial, recording that, editing that, it, all in like one week. So it was too That's much. Amazing. Yeah, it was fun. But shorter, um, useful information is something we're playing around with. YouTube Shorts is huge. There's so much potential there, and we have not tapped into it at all. I mean, everybody's on their phones these days. If you're trying to connect with an audience you know go through the phone youtube shorts hands down is something we're we're missing out on but we're we're looking towards
1: and what about other platforms tiktok instagram any
0: yeah we're on all of them it's it's interesting interesting to play around with different formats to see what does the best or you know one video you think will completely kill on instagram flops but it takes off on tiktok uh it's it's hard to know exactly how it works but Um, it's tricky for us to like, I think we can make awesome viral content. I just want to make sure it's worth spending the time to develop that content and, and target it towards audiences who want to make visual effects versus just watch a really cool short. Um, right. Yeah. So I'm, I'm constantly trying to like see through the fog and make the right decision.
1: Yeah, that's great. Uh, and, and you have a great, great crew helping you. How have you built that team?
0: All kinds of ways. David has been with us for six or seven years now, and he uh, contacted me because he had a similar website to Footage Crate, just with a bit less content, and he wasn't able to gain any traction on it. So he's like, hey, I've got this content. Do you want to buy it? And I said, yeah, sure, I'll take it. It looks great, but do you want to work with us and you know, make some explosions and stuff over here. And he said wow. yes, and then now he's been working with us and he will be working with us for a long time. Awesome. Um, I, we have people from Craigslist. We have people who have, like, found us on the website and contacted us all kinds of ways.
1: Early in their visual effects or editing careers, what tips do you have?
0: Nobody in this industry, most people are not going to want to read your resume. It's not so relevant in such a visually driven industry. Get your reel looking sharp and, and don't make it too long and make sure your project file is editable so you can go back and swap out your worst shot with your most recent best shot. Super, super important. Nobody wants to sit through a five-minute reel where half of it is garbage. That's going to reflect, reflect poorly on you. So a one-minute reel of everything good versus a five-minute reel of half bad stuff, go with the shorter one. Uh, have a nice, clean portfolio. Don't send people a Google Drive link and say, hey, this is my work make your own website. It's not that difficult to jump onto WordPress or any of those like easy make sites. And on your website, have an about page. It's always nice to know and connect to some degree with who you're working with. If they're behind you know, the anonymity of the internet, uh, that disconnect can make it... It'll be harder for you as well because they won't feel as inclined to maybe treat you like a person because they've never seen or never connected with you. So, you know, make, make sure you make it clear who you are on your website.
1: And what do you think is the, important of, the importance of location these days? So for people spread out around the world, what advantage, if any, comes from living in a, a film production hub like Los Angeles or Atlanta or Toronto or
0: yeah, I, I think it's not so relevant these days. You may have to jump on calls late, late at night or early, early in the morning. But for the most part, everybody's pretty used to working mobily at this point. So yeah, I'd say it's not a massive deal to to be living in a certain area unless you really need to kind of like bump shoulders with the right people um, and work on your networking game. But again, you can do that online.
1: Yeah, I agree. What, how do you think the role of the VFX artist is changing and what opportunities are coming out of it? So for people who are you know, seeing more and more of the technical work of visual effects or post-production automated by AI, mm-hmm. what can people do to future-proof themselves?
0: I don't think it'll ever be possible to completely future-proof yourself in maybe one specific focus, but I think if you just have a deep understanding of... The art form, I think you'll be okay. Um, Like know your fundamentals because those will never go away. Learning any specific software and imagining that that software is going to be forever is somewhat naive because no software will last forever. Um, So yeah, good understanding of composition or if you're a simulations expert, a good understanding of, you know, fuel burn rates or whatever, like those fundamentals will stick around.
1: Yeah, that's great. What's the weirdest job you've ever had? (laughs)
0: Well, a random weird job that happened last year is users kept sending us this porn video that like constantly and they're like, hey, we keep seeing your visual effects in this clip. And I'm like, that's great, but please stop sending it to us. But we probably got like 50 emails or something about it. So yeah, (laughs) just nonstop.
1: Have you, uh, that made me think of deepfakes. Have you done anything with deepfakes or or, uh, plan to do any?
0: We've played around with deepfakes a little bit. Yeah, I mean, I I think it could be good for like some random viral YouTube video or something. But one thing we were talking about doing, so we've created DigiDoubles before where we 3D scan our heads and then we go into 3D and we, you know, mess with it and perfect it a little bit. We're talking about taking one of those DigiDoubles and creating some type of animation like um, uh, Hulk transformation, for example and going like recording everything with the DigiDouble and then applying a deep fake on top of that because it should like add enough kind of realism to maybe get us over the uncanny valley. We haven't messed with it yet, but I think it would actually work pretty well.
1: How much overlap do you think there is between esports and visual effects? So, as video games become more and more cinematic, uh and as more and more gamers are live streaming and and uh and then editors you know create amazing highlights reels from that mm-hmm. what exposure have you had to esports and how do you think those two worlds of of post production and and uh gaming might overlap
0: yeah i'm not i i mean definitely i've seen some like random fortnite edits or something that are like pretty impressive edits kind of like music video style edits really cool like freeze frames um, where they'll use a bunch of assets and just hyper-stylize it, but make it pretty cool and cohesive and easy to follow, even for someone who doesn't play the game. So definitely for those like highlight reels, uh, I think there's room. In terms of the broadcast stuff, like the uh, instant transitions, we haven't really looked into that too much, but there does seem to be a growing market for those like overlays, lower thirds, that kind of thing.
1: How much of physical production do you think visual effects is? subsuming. So as uh the types of models and uh, effects that you guys are selling mm. and teaching people how to do, how is it going to impact uh the need to physically film those things in the coming years? And and how close are we to
0: You mean like animatronics versus like a CG version or something?
1: Yeah. How close are we to not needing, you know, to actually film stunts?
0: I mean, that's a great question. I I think there's always gonna be room the two complement each other so well. And no matter what your like aspect of production you're looking at, whether it's like just the budgeting or the time frame, there's gonna be a need for using this or you're using that. Going completely digital, a lot of people think is like band-aid solution, like, oh we'll just fix it all in post, but it's like if you do some very simple things on set or just have uh, VFX supervisor who can just kind of point you in the right direction, it will save you so much time and so much money. And like, I, yeah, so I think they're, they're a a pretty good relationship. They, They have a pretty good marriage right now.
1: What new opportunities do you think will come for visual effects artists in the, in the years to come?
0: Yeah. So I, I've never worked on like a feature length movie myself, and I don't really have any interest in that. Um, I, I think it's awesome for the people who do because it it's gotta be pretty cool to see the content you make on the big screen. But I don't wanna be one small piece of that. I like working as kind of a generalist and someone who knows how to, you know, run simulations and composite uh exrs and like kinda do the whole thing. And I think more and more people are going that direction. Um there's so many cool visual effects artists uh content out there like just joshing is a really talented guy who does a lot of like TikTok and Instagram videos his visual effects are really really cool and he's been able to connect and collaborate with a lot of big celebrities for their um Instagram and TikTok channels and you know probably gets paid pretty decently for that
1: what other creators are you watching
0: just joshing really great shutter authority, extremely talented guy. Peter Q Caleb Natale is really good. There's a bunch of them.
1: In production, there you know, we run into problems on set all the time. Mm-hmm. Things that you could not have planned for. Do you have any any production disasters or production nightmares that you had to to solve on set?
0: Well, I am not the best planner. I usually do a really good job with this stuff, but I just remember like 2 years ago or something we were shooting dust explosions or fire. One of those like peck pyro kind of effects in the studio and like everything was going smoothly and like there's, you know, dust in the air. We had like lab coats on and I look over to the side and there's this girl just kind of standing there looking kind of terrified. I'm like, oh, who are you? Like, what's going on? You shouldn't be here. And she's like. I have uh, an audition scheduled today at Production Crate. Like, oh my God, I totally forgot. <laughs> so I think we freaked her out a little bit. She did. She performed really well, but yeah.
1: Yeah, oh, that's funny. Oh, you know, I would love to hear about your uh, your creator kits.
0: Yeah. So as I mentioned early on, like Production Crate has, the idea is we, I want to give the users airy downloadable asset they could possibly need for whatever project they're imagining. So our creator kits is kind of a good way of locating specific downloadable assets for your project. Uh, They're a collection of genre specific or thematic specific things like the apocalypse or dystopian future sci-fi. And then within every one of those collections, you will find the music, the sound effects, the 3D models, the visual effects, the graphics that you'll need to, to create that. So they're kind of this ever growing concept.
1: That's awesome. Have you done any editing competitions, editing contests, VFX contests, anything along those lines?
0: I've done the 48 uh, hour film festival a little bit. It's not my favorite totally like, but it it is fun. But yeah, we run a monthly contest on production crate. And uh, it's always fun to see those entries.
1: What are those contests and and what submissions will you get?
0: So we do a 10 second visual effects contest and we have, um, you know, a collection of of rules and grading formats. Users have 10 seconds to come up with a, I mean, not 10 seconds to make thing that thing from A to Z, but the final submission video has to be 10 seconds or less. It needs to use some visual effects and it gets graded on... Uh, a variety of scores for how good the story is, how good the visual effects are, how good the filming is. Uh, And we get just tons of submissions every month. We give them like one specific theme. So I think the next month is indestructible and they can do whatever they want with that theme. And so it's fun to see how creative people get with it.
1: What do the winners get as a prize?
0: So we usually get, the contest sponsored by um, a lot of gear makers. So people have provided microphones, lighting equipment, camera equipment, like follow focus kits. And then sometimes we'll do like one or two years free access to production crate.
1: Wow. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Have you uh, developed any relationships with those artists that said submit for those that you end up working with?
0: Yeah, After? we've definitely worked with a couple of them. And then we tend to see them around on social media a lot and develop somewhat of a rapport. So it, it has been cool seeing the community kind of grow and develop like that over time and see someone whose style maybe changes or maybe someone who gets just so much better at their craft or sometimes someone who disappears for a couple years and then comes back. Um, yeah, it's cool.
1: Have you had any mentors along the way of building Production Crate?
0: Not really. I've looked, um, but there's not anyone who does what I do. So <laughs> most of it's just been like guessing and it's worked yeah. out.
1: Oh, that's awesome. And what about, have you mentored anyone early in their visual effects or, or entrepreneurship careers?
0: I'd say a lot of the people who work here at Production Crate. Uh, I work closely with. I mean, they teach me as much as I teach them. And then hopefully anyone who watches our tutorials. But yeah, I haven't done a whole lot of hands-on because from the second I wake up to the second I go to sleep, I'm usually busy thinking or working on this stuff.
1: What is it that you love about teaching through these tutorials?
0: I think I like the idea of being in their shoes and realizing, like when I first realized that we can make these insane visual effects from home and, and kind of getting inspired to do that. And yeah, it just kind of like opens up their mind to go out there and make it awesome.
1: That's, that's awesome. Well, Chris, this was great. Thank you for telling us about your amazing career and and company and helping, you know, shed some light on uh, yet another great path in visual effects and post.
0: Awesome. Yeah. Thanks, Nick. That was fun. Great to meet you. you as well.